Let's pray, shall we, as we come to look at this, uh, these verses from John 17. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have for the next couple of minutes to dive into them together, to learn from you. And we pray that we would understand that you would give us wisdom to hear what you want to say to us this evening. Give us a willingness to put it into practice, we pray, both individually and as a church community. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, I wonder what the most encouraging words that you can hear are for you. I think for me, one of the great things is when someone says to me, I'm praying for you. But does it sometimes feel to you like prayer is a bit of a cop-out? It's a last resort, something that Christians say to each other but don't really mean and don't really think is going to make any difference. We can't do anything else to help, so we might as well pray. Well, this week, like the last two weeks, we're getting to listen in to Jesus as he prays. We saw a couple of weeks ago that there's often in scripture where Jesus goes off on his own to pray, but rarely do we hear the words of his prayers other than the Lord's Prayer. But here we do in John 17 and in verses 1 to 5, he prays that God the Father would be glorified through his Son, through Jesus himself, by what he's about to do through the cross and the resurrection. We're in the last days of Jesus' life. Then in verses 6 to 19, Jesus has prayed for his disciples that they might be protectors as they go out into a hostile world to tell people everywhere what Jesus has done and said. And then lastly, we come to this last chunk, verses 20 to 26, our verses for tonight. And Jesus here is praying for all believers. We're on page 1085. Do you have your Bibles open? If you have a look at verse 20, Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. He's meaning not for the disciples alone. And then he says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So he's praying for those who will hear what the disciples have to tell them about the birth, life, death and resurrection, ascension of Jesus, his reign now in heaven and will believe. And this links in, of course, with one of the big themes of John's Gospel. If you look towards them, just a couple of pages on, John 20, verse 29, Jesus says to Thomas, the one of doubting fame, blessed are you because you have believed, because best, blessed are you because you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And he then continues, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The aim of the whole of John's gospel is that people, not just the disciples, the apostles who met with Jesus face to face, but people from across the globe and across the ages might come to believe in him, in who he is and what he's done, the salvation that he offers. And that through that belief and trust in God's son, Jesus Christ, that they might receive life in his name. Two weeks ago, we said that as per John 1.12, that Jesus is the only one with authority to give the right to sinful people to become children of God. That's exciting, isn't it? Do you see? 
Jesus is praying for his church. Jesus is praying for us. Jesus has prayed for his disciples, and now he's not just praying for those 12, but for those who would believe in him because of the message they shared from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth until it got to Red Hill or wherever it was where you were when you first heard the good news about Jesus. You know, this evening, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if this evening you are standing firm on the eyewitness accounts of the Gospels, if this evening you believe what the Gospel writers saw and heard about Jesus, his life, his death and his resurrection, then amazingly, Jesus was praying for you, for us too. It's a bit mind-blowing, isn't it? So what does Jesus pray for? Well, let's have a look together. I think there are three key themes in this passage. And the first is unity. We can't miss it. You know, as God's people here tonight, there'll be all sorts of things that we'll have in common. We live in or around Red Hill. We might like the same kind of foods. We might have the same kind of interests. We're free at seven o'clock on a Sunday evening to come to church. But equally, there'll be all sorts of things that will divide us, our opinions, things that we differ on, what TV shows we like, whether we like sport or not, what kind of music we like, and that's okay. We're not called to be clones of each other, but we are called to be united. It's really clear in this passage, have a look, verse 21, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And if we're in any doubt, have a look at verse 26. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus prays that his people might be one, that they might have complete unity. And it's not abstract. You see, if unity was based on our likes or dislikes, we would end up being polarised or just sticking with those who have similar views or likes or perspectives or understanding to ourselves. But that's not what church is all about. What is our unity rooted in? Well, it's there in those verses, isn't it? As Jesus prays, he prays to the Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And then in verse 22, that they may be one as we are one. The church is to be united because we have the ultimate example of unity in the Godhead. God as Father, Son and Spirit. One God in three. Father, Son and Spirit is perfectly united in purpose. And that's the kind of unity that we are to reflect to the world. This isn't about something as mundane as personal preference. No, Christians are to be united around our Trinitarian God himself and what he has revealed to be the central tenets of our faith. Have a look back at chapter 17, verse 8. John writes this, Let me just read it for you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them, 
They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Christians are are to be united about what is revealed in Scripture, united around what Jesus has said and done and fulfilled. I once heard it explained like this, and I found it a very helpful illustration. Think of the wheel of a bike. It's got a hub in the middle with the spokes coming out from it. And as Christians, we're to be united over the key doctrinal truths that are, if you will, the hub of the wheel. What might those be? Things like the virgin birth, God as creator, Jesus' words, the cross, the resurrection, they are the key truths of our faith, aren't they? But there are all kinds of things that could be described as the spokes coming out from the hub, things that Christians can legitimately disagree over but can still have fellowship and unity. What might the spokes be? Well, perhaps the use of the gifts of the Spirit, infant baptism, the role of women in the church, our theology of the end times when Jesus returns. We need to be united around the things at the hub in the centre. We need to know what Jesus has said, to know the difference between what we must be united in and those things that in the big scheme of things perhaps don't matter quite as much. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't apply our brains and think the spoke issues through. Of course we should. Let's work them out together in the light of Scripture and come to our own conclusions. It is true, you know, that Christians can perhaps get worked up and often will fall out over things that aren't eternally important. Not even spokes. Church music or church coffee, whether or not things are, my to, are to my personal preference. And that, friends, is sad, isn't it? Because we're meant to be united around the things in the hub. So the next time you or I are prepared to get worked up, it might just be helpful for us to think about, going back to the wheel analogy, if this is a hub or a spoke issue. Let's not let the things that are spokes take preference over the things in the hub where our unity is found. Let them become our focus. Does that make sense? Some nods. We are to reflect, you see, the unity of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. It's to ripple out from us. And Jesus is praying that his church throughout the ages would hold on to and be built upon the firm foundation of the apostles' teaching, And that includes Holy Trinity, this church. So let me encourage you to pray. To pray for the church here, to pray for the church in this country, for the church worldwide, that we might hold to apostolic truth, that we might contend for it where it is being undermined and be united around what is really important, that others might come to know Jesus. Which brings us to the second thing that Jesus prays for, mission. Have a look at verse 21. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 23. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Verse 25. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. Jesus prays that the world might come to know him and therefore through him to know the love of the Father. 
Jesus prays that as the church lives out their faith in unity, that many would come to believe in him and know the gift of eternal life that only he has the authority to offer. And of course, unity and mission link, don't they? You see, if we're so caught up with our personal preferences and our own little arguments, well, then we won't be united, will we? What does that say to the world? That's often, I think, when the, church calls, when the world calls us a hypocrite. And far more importantly than that, our energy and our time won't be used to share the gospel or contending for it for the things in the hub at the centre of the wheel, the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, that a sinful world so needs to hear and to know. Jesus is praying to the Father that the church might continue to share his good news and to continue his mission in the world. The church, you see, is to be the very opposite of a game of Chinese whispers. Why is it called that, by the way? I don't know. I'm sure you know the game, though. One person is given a phrase or a sentence, and they whisper it to the next person, who then whispers it to the next, to the next, and to the next. And at the end of the game, then you hear the message that the person thinks they've heard. And, of course, it's different because it's misheard. And it's funny often at the end, isn't it, to see what people have thought they've heard and picked up. Well, the church is to be the opposite of that. We are to share what Jesus and then what the apostles shared about salvation, about faith, about eternal life, nothing more and nothing less. We are not to change the message to fit ourselves or our culture, but we keep it the same so that people have an opportunity to respond to Jesus. Wallace Ben wrote a book called The Last Word, and he said this, the church is in every generation tied to the apostolic witness to the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. We are not free to adjust New Testament teaching. When the church moves away from the, this apostolic testimony, it becomes foolish. Such departure from the truth prevents people from coming to know God. It is not up to us in our sinful arrogance to try to adjust or improve the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus prayed for oneness in apostolic truth. So again, let me encourage you to pray, to pray for the mission of the church here in this country and for the church worldwide that we might carefully and honestly, truthfully present the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we might keep our priority on sharing the good news about him undiluted to a world that so needs to hear his message. And so each of us needs to prayerfully ask, what will that look for, like in your life, Monday to Saturday? What will it look like for you to join in that great mission of making Jesus known, undiluted? Jesus prays for unity in his church and he prays for mission. And finally, he prays for assurance. Jesus prays that his followers, his church, might be assured of their faith. Verses 24 and 26, he outlines what God has done in the past, what God is doing in the present, and one day will do in the future. 
So let's just track those things through. What has God done in the past? Well, have a look at verse 24. He says this, Father, I want you, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. God has known and loved the Son since before the creation of the world. And amazingly, that is the love and the grace that is outpoured to us. Then Jesus says in verse 26, I have made you known to them. Jesus has given us everything we need, you need, I need to know God. That is what he has done in the past. But Jesus isn't just in the past, he's active in the present. Have a look at verse 26. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. You see, Jesus is continuing to make himself known in his world. And that's a huge encouragement to us, isn't it? As we think about sharing his good news, to know that it is his work, that he is intimately involved with making his name known through the power of the Spirit. We are not alone in his mission. He is with us. We can be assured of that. That's the past and the present. And then we come to the future. That's there in verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. You know, I came to faith at the age of 17 when I was at sixth form college. And I had a part-time job in a pub. And the day after I came to Jesus, I had a shift in the pub. And I bowled up to the person that I worked with and told her that I was a Christian and that I now knew I was going to heaven. I was probably a bit naive, but I was really excited about it. And she just told me not to be so silly. It was a bit of a slap in the face for a brand-new Christian, really. But, you know, me in my brand-new faith knew that that was right because that's what Jesus had done for me it wasn't about me it was about him if you are trusting Jesus for your salvation if you are trusting Jesus to wipe away your sin give you a fresh start make all things new if you are trusting Jesus that one day as he promises that none will be taken away from him that one day you will be with him in eternity where he now is then we can have assurance because of what God has done in the past, because of what he's doing in the present, we can trust what he one day will do in the future. He will do it. He keeps his promises. There is a hint here that Jesus is praying to the Father that those who come to him in faith will have assurance if you have doubts. And I would guess that we all do. You may not have doubts tonight, but there are moments for all of us, aren't there? If we're honest, there are for me, when we wonder and we doubt and we question. Pray. Pray that God would remind you again of what he's done in the past, what he's doing in the present, and what he will do in the future. Not because of us, but because of Jesus. So what does Jesus pray as he prays for us? Well, he prays for unity. He prays that his church would be mission-minded. And he prays that we would be assured of all that he has done, is doing, and one day will do. So I'm just going to give us a moment to pray.
to pray for ourselves, to pray for our church, to pray for the church in this nation and worldwide. Maybe there's one thing that I've said this evening that has piqued you to pray, whether that's for yourself or for this country or for much uh, further afield. An opportunity to just bring our prayers and our praise before God. Father, we come and we say sorry for when we focus on our own agendas, our own self-interest, rather than looking to the unity that you have won for us in Christ. Father, we, we say sorry for those times when we focus on ourselves and what we want, rather than in being generous and outward-looking and sharing the good news of your gospel with those around us. And Father, we bring before you too our doubts and we pray that we might know your assurance of what you have done, what you are doing, and what you one day will do because you've promised us it to us in Christ. Father, help us to be a people who pray, who learn from the prayers of your Son himself, who join in with what he has prayed. And we pray that you would keep us faithful to you as you are always faithful to us. Remind us, Lord, to pray for unity, for mission and for assurance for ourselves and for those around us. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen.